0: I'm Afshan and welcome to Going Underground. We're back and coming to you for now from a new location today. Exactly 40 years since several thousand Argentine troops seized the Falkland Islands, or Malvinas, back from Great Britain before Margaret Thatcher's British Army took it back. 74 days later. This is the annual EU-China summit is scheduled for its second day after Friday's peace talks between Ukraine and Russia. All this while the EU has banned this program and this TV channel still broadcast all around the world except in NATO-aligned countries. Well, joining me now from Rome for this episode is former advisor to the European Union's High Representative for Common Foreign and Security Policy and Conflict's forum founder, Alistair Crook. Alistair, welcome back on Going Underground. Let's begin with perhaps uh, the need for you to remind us what you think is the start of this conflict and the reasons for the conflict, given that uh, certainly in the European Union, where dissent is arguably banned, uh, we are told almost hourly uh, that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine without provocation. Oh,
1: no, it's very clear that what we're dealing with is really something, and it's much broader than just the Ukraine. And uh, both Presidents Putin and Xi have both said that. that This is about reordering, if you like, the security architecture of the globe, the global security architecture, away from a simple rules-based order that is set by the United States in order to give these other states uh, a seat at the board, if you like to be able to have a discussion, there is really no communication um, for them. There was a very good analogy made by someone that it was like a chessboard, and the United States sit at one end of the chessboard, and someone said, well, do two play this game of chess? And it was Brzezinski, in fact, and Brzezinski said, no, it's for one, There's no other at this game. We just simply turn the board around, and then we play from the other side. And that's been going on really the whole for a long time 19th century and now russia and china want a seat at that chessboard and they don't accept any longer that the united states simply turns the chessboard through 180 degrees and starts playing from the other side as well as their own side so they want a seat at the chessboard that's what ukraine is about was there a provocation yes because people have been warning from oh long time 2007 even the present head of the CIA in Washington when he was ambassador in Moscow said if you move nato into georgia and ukraine there will be war it's inevitable
0: difficult though for china the eu china virtual summit day 2 on on the saturday uh, Uh, I'm not sure whether the EU will be again lecturing China about human rights. But uh, despite the reaffirmation of the uh, alliance, more than alliance, between Beijing and Moscow, of course, Poland, Ukraine, Italy, where you are, uh, they're Belt and Road countries. Ukraine, one of the biggest investments in Europe coming from China. How does China navigate that? Uh, How is it allied to uh, Russia even whilst uh, these countries that are spearheading uh, the conflict, certainly in information terms, uh, they're on Washington's side?
1: Uh, There is a a very close rapport between Russia and China. Uh, And I think the decision, if you like, to disassociate from Europe and from the West generally was probably taken even a year before The famous declaration that was made by both the Chinese and the Russian presidents in Beijing, where they said they will no longer put up with, if you like, uh, an American um, imposed global order, that we are going to change that and going to contest the global order. And of course, um, that has caused a great deal of anger and also anxiety in the West about this prospect. Um, But I think it's very clear where it's going because they do coordinate very closely and we've seen Russia's uh, response. Russia's response is it has a list of friendly nations uh, with whom it does business and transacts diplomatically with them and those that are not and are really excluded, probably won't even be able to get visas to travel. I I think um, China will do it in its own time, but this is the model that we're going to see. In other words, uh, two spheres, two separate spheres, and remaining on the fence is going to be so uncomfortable and so painful that it will become impossible eventually, so people will have to choose which which side they want to uh, reside on. We saw a bit of that with the Uh, um, Although it was more complicated than that, but with Moscow telling the Europeans, you know, you want oil, you want gas, okay, pay in one, no more dollars, no more euros after you stole our foreign reserve uh, accounts in in the United States
0: and in Europe. Yeah, some people actually commented that leaving $300 billion in foreign assets in in dollars uh, may well have been a Moscow trick. It seemed all too easy, so that immediately Russia could retaliate by saying it must be charged in rubles when it comes to uh, energy resources in Europe. Uh, what do you think, say Berlin, where uh, where energy resources are all important from Russia? I mean, will the lights go out? They are talking about the need, perhaps, for rationing. But then the G7 says, absolutely not. You're uh, you're uh, breaking a contract and uh, you must charge, if not in dollars, then in euros. And I should just also say, uh, we're not regulated by the British regulator anymore, but as you know, nato uh, aligned countries all say this is unprovoked from Moscow.
1: Well, uh, first of all, I mean, thats you've raised a, 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 a number of, of points in, 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 this, in this issue, but it was provoked essentially by the taking of if you like, instruments, debt instruments, um, from uh, that are called foreign reserves. Uh, And those debt instruments, I mean, if you like, when you simply seize them or, or cancel them, as the United States and Europe has done, I mean, that's a breach of contract too. That is a clear breach of the contract to pay on those contracts like US treasuries or on currencies. They are just, if you like, an obligation to pay those who cancel. So if you like, um, in a sense, uh, uh, Russia can always plead force majeure. Now, as to changing the contract, I heard a lot of that from European countries saying, oh, well, you know, we can't change the contract, it's unchangeable. But Europe pr- proposed precisely that to Russia not so long ago, because they said they didn't want any longer to have long-term contracts with Russia. They'd like to have spot prices for their gas. And we're moving in that direction, and we'd like to go onto the spot market for the prices. So let's change our contract that way. So, if it was all right for the EU to propose that, why is it not all right for Russia to propose that they now pay and won? It shouldn't be too difficult for them to pray in one, but we all know there's an underlying reason why they don't want to do that, because there's a fear that the financial system, which is already shifting, the global monetary system, is already shifting away from fiat money, which basically has no real backing to it at all. It's just a, a promise to pay, nothing more, um, and a promise to pay by printing more money. but moving away from that to commodities and an asset-based currencies, i.e. currencies that are based on real things like either gas, oil, wheat, whatever, rare, rare metals, or gold. And this is where we seem to be moving. I mean, it was in 1971 that Nixon did away with the gold window, and now, quietly, without much attention in the press, Um, Russia has re-established a gold window um, for rubles, and that translates also into uh, an equivalent price of rubles for the dollar of about 75 rubles for the dollar. Since they, they did this, we've seen the ruble shoot up in value against the dollar, and then they've also said we'd like to have, you know, payment in rubles, which means that these... Um, foreign country companies in the European Union are going to have to go and buy rubles and that is going to push the ruble up further and make it a much more valuable currency as a trading instrument too. so um, you know paradoxically uh, you remember it was only in the beginning of March that the French finance minister was saying our aim is to collapse um, the Russian economy. Um, and to collapse, obviously, the ruble as part of that. He said that at the beginning of, of March. And now, one month later, we see in the financial press many commentators talking about this is beginning of the end of the fiat global monetary system because there's a crisis of confidence in that. Ultimately, you know, it worked so long as the dollar was vaguely in line with certain commodities, but since they made the mistake of sanctioning Russia so heavily, Russia is the kingpin of all commodities. Food, resources, oil, gas, precious metals, everything comes from Russia. They don't have supply lines. So when they do that, they've made a mayhem in all of the commodity markets, and that's affecting the fiat currency,
0: When it comes to the way the rest of the world sees this conflict, uh, I'm not sure what you thought about the Western reports, NATO Nation uh, reports that Saudi Arabia, the UAE, refused Biden's phone call. Uh, We know that uh, suddenly a team was sent to Venezuela, where uh, one think tank said 40,000 were killed by U.S., sanctions against the maduro government uh, there the world food program is warning about wheat prices in egypt the biggest wheat uh, buyer does china and russia together have the kind of infrastructural clout to be able to save uh, uh, the world from global famine caused if you believe moscow by nato expansion eastward and if you believe nato caused by uh, vladimir putin
1: uh there are, It is not so straightforward because we have a major problem with food rising, which is not just concerned with the war in Ukraine, although Ukraine and Russia combined produce something like 35% of global wheat supplies, so yes to that extent. But it is also something that is more than that, because there are other factors involved in it. First of all, we have a drought in much of the Middle East, which is affecting production, uh, food production across the Middle East. So that's a, 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 an important factor, um, but also um, because uh, the some of the sanctions on Russia have affected um, important areas um, of fertilizers other things that are necessary in food production, Uh, certain gas is necessary um, also, and all of these are being blocked at the moment by sanctions, and so it's causing a huge problem, and in some cases farmers in the West are not planting crops or not planning to plant crops because the price of fertilizers has shot up. The components to these either come from Belarus or they come from Russia, Um, And they're just not available at the moment. So one part of it is sanctions, one part of it is the conflict that's taking place in Ukraine, another part of it is um, drought, and another part is the fact that in many parts of the world, the attempt to move towards a greener world from the sort of, if you like, the Davos agenda, has actually meant the crops are not being planted there uh, so it's got several components to it i think this problem and certainly we are going to feel the effects on prices inflation food is going to be very expensive inflation in europe is soaring as it is in the united states and many other places this is becoming a major crisis the sanctions in many ways europe has not sanctioned russia it's sanctioning itself you know, not being able to get things like fertilizers, not being able to get things that are necessary, food that is necessary, uh, is, is sanctioning Europeans going to make it much harder for people to survive on incomes because the prices are going up so rapidly.
0: Alistair Crook, I'll stop you there. More from the former advisor to the European Union's High Representative for Common Foreign and Security Policy after this break. Welcome back. I'm Celia with former British diplomat and founder of Conflicts Forum, Alastair Crook. Do you think that the European Union just doesn't understand you were an advisor to the equivalent of the EU foreign minister? Because at the same time as uh, the rest of the world maybe holds fast, Lula and maybe even Lula, uh, certainly Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, in South Africa, all these countries in the global south de facto back Russia, as seen by NATO, Meanwhile, in Europe, the war by Russia is paid for by European Union money, de facto. a 100 billion, Fortune magazine said, uh, comes from the European Union into Russia to pay for uh, gas, oil, and coal. At the same time, as you just said, they are, in effect, sanctioning themselves. And Berlin is telling its citizens to perhaps ration gas. And uh, all over Western Europe, they're talking about Uh, well, some of them talking about mass uh, fuel poverty?
1: I think you raise a really important question because I don't see any sign that the Europeans did any, gave any thought to the strategic consequences of what they were doing. They were so caught up in the sort of sense of uh, the struggle against Russia, against Putin, the dictator and all of this. And it's become a sort of fervor Uh, in Europe Um, or everywhere. There are sort of blue and yellow symbols of Ukraine. It's become such a fervor that I don't think they really thought. I mean, Europe cannot manage as it is. They cannot get gas from anywhere else that will substitute from Russian gas. That's just obvious. The Americans have promised a small amount of new liquefied gas, natural gas, but that will cover about 4% of EU needs, um, Europe uh, required 40%. Uh, Qatar is not going to be able to supply it. It's not going to get supplied. So why did they go into these things without any thinking? And then suddenly they say, well, we're going to divest ourselves from reliance on Russian or oil, <coughs> uh, oil and gas within a year. How? I mean, have they got a plan for this? Is this serious? How are you going to do that? You know, you can't just change these things uh, overnight. Then they're surprised when Russia says, okay, now pay in rubles. Did they not consider that possibility? Did they not think where it was going to take them? Have they not considered the impact on inflation? And inflation is soaring in the European Union at the moment while they still stay on uh, a monetary and economic policy, which is nuts. They're still doing quantitative easing and negative interest rates, effectively, and buying all the bonds that uh, certain countries um, produce to fund their debt. I mean, how long can you go on on that sort of basis when inflation is, um, you know, the inflation figures are highly manipulated, but we're talking about large figures, double-digit figures in, in, in Europe, in reality, even if they say it's a little less. And people are going to feel a huge amount of pain. The costs of gas and electricity, like in the UK, are going to go up 50%. They've gone up 50%. They'll probably go up another 100% um, before the end of this year. How are people going to survive with this? Have they not made any consideration? Have they not thought it through? They've cut off all the links. They've created a sort of uncurtain against Russia. They can't even talk to to, to Russia or to Putin at the moment. They've so cut themselves off in their sort of enthusiasm and their excitement for projecting European values into what they see as a sort of barbarian culture of Russia. It's not that, of course, but that's how they seem to see it. And so, you know, that's why I'm very pessimistic that they can come up with a, a real solution.
0: Well, of course, Joe Biden assures uh, Europe that the uh, fracked gas from the U.S. will be on time. And uh, important commentators and think tanks in NATO countries constantly talk about Qatar saving the day. Um, if, uh... Uh,
1: both, both of those are rubbish. The actual contract that the Americans, that the European Union produced, doesn't have any commitment to that extra 15 billion cubic meters of gas. It says America will do its best endeavors to meet it. Best endeavors is, you know, full of holes. Gatha has said formally, I know a German minister went there and came back and said Gatha has said that they will help out with gas, but actually Doha has said formally, we never made that commitment. We couldn't make the commitment. We don't have the capacity to make that commitment. I'm very sorry if we cannot replace Russian gas. So where, OEU EU, is it coming from?
0: Well, as you know, and as you alluded to, uh, for instance, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson talking about it's the principle that matters. This is about the uh, foundations of the uh, European uh, uh, ideal philosophically even even the Enlightenment being talked about. Obviously, uh, one feels it uh, strangely when it comes to the banning of uh, free expression and free media. Uh, obviously, RT comes to mind, but of course, CGTN and Press TV, media is banned, uh, dissenting media. Um, Zelensky uh, has, uh, has, has been the subject, arguably, of a huge PR operation in Western Europe and NATO-aligned countries. What do you think he faces at home in Ukraine as per the far right elements in Ukraine society, and uh, and is in effect Putin need to protect him as peace talks go forward if a peace deal is is to emerge? I,
1: I mean, it's a it's a complicated picture, but we do know that Zelensky, of course, uh, um, uh, has. I mean, all of these Zoom meetings with parliaments and have been carefully choreographed and someone has provided the videos and the the means to do this. And that almost certainly is the United States. Um, And the question really comes down to the issue of, uh, is the United States ready? Are all of European states, because some of them don't seem to be, Really ready uh, for a long war, or do they want a short war in the Ukraine and a political settlement? Um, And it's not clear that that decision has yet been made. We see that. I think you mentioned yourself at the start that there was, you know, so far there was nothing and there would be another meeting later on. I don't think Zelensky is a free agent in this, Um, he is very close. Um, you know, even with his background, he is surrounded by uh, members of the Azov and Right Sector uh, uh, groups um, and works very closely with some of the leaders of those groups. Uh, and are they ready for um, a ceasefire or an ending of the process? It's not clear that that is the case, but it's also not clear. I mean, Russia has set certain uh, objectives for this military operation. And it is still possible that if they feel they've achieved those objectives, um, they may feel that the best thing is simply just to go uh, and leave. And the Donetsk and Nunansk republics will be look after themselves in their own way once the Russians have completed their military operation. The Black Sea coast will be uh, similarly, probably an autonomous region. Maybe Western Ukraine will be taken by the Poles. Maybe parts of the other parts of Ukraine will be taken by Hungary. We don't know quite. Certainly the Polish Prime Minister has made it very clear they have territorial ambitions, because most of that land on the West, Livov and all of that, were Polish originally. And he said they have territorial um, uh, needs, requirements from, from Ukraine, and I think there was a long conversation between the Polish president and that of Biden when he was in Warsaw, uh, uh, when the, the Polish president was a- arguing very strongly that the Polish military should be able to go into Ukraine and take some of that land that was There's originally. So, I mean, we may see something very different as the outcome. If there can't be a negotiated diplomatic outcome, we may find it's a sort of de facto balkanization that takes place in in Ukraine. I'm not sure who that would suit, if anyone, but I mean, one can't say that is not going to be an option. It might be the only thing that emerges, for lack of anything better to arrive from the
0: situation. Presumably China wouldn't uh, appreciate that too much with its close trading ties uh, with Kiev. But if billions of dollars' worth of weapons continues to be poured into Ukraine by NATO-aligned countries, notably the United States, uh, that uh, many see as prolonging the war, can we see an uptick in the violence? We've seen the pictures of so many uh, refugees, let alone dead bodies, of civilians, can we see an uptick in increased violence or will nato uh, along with um, with businesses and the and the uh, corporations of the planet eventually have to back down uh, to save uh, well to save the planet in effect
1: well, you know, the United States continues to pour money in. they've just announced more money another other tranche and more weapons to go there. I'm not sure that they can actually get those weapons into Ukraine because the Russians have been very adept at um, destroying weapons supplies and weapons dumps inside Ukraine, even close to the Polish border. So it's not so clear that the, this is really possible. Um, but nonetheless, uh, can, can the war go on? I think there is a camp within, let's call it a camp within Washington, that would like it to become a quagmire, like Afghanistan was for the Soviet Union all those years ago when I was there. Um, would they like to do the same? Some One camp does. Uh, that's largely the State Department position. I think another one like the Pentagon is much less enthusiastic about that, much less enthusiastic because it fears that this might lead to a bigger conflict with Russia.
0: Alistair crook thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. If you're watching this on Saturday, it'll be replayed on Monday. And keep in touch via all our social media if it's available in your country. And remember, you can continue to watch Going Underground episodes globally on TV outside NATO-aligned countries and always on odyssey and rt.com. <laughs>